0: theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program.
1: Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to The Tom Sumner Show.
2: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we've got a great one in store today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk again with uh, sustainability advocate uh, Kate Gartner uh, about her book, Planting a Seed, Three Simple Ways to Sustainable Living. In the middle of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, an award-winning young adult uh, book novelist, who uh, is, has just finished her fourth novel, but her first science fiction novel. It's called Alone Out Here by Riley Redgate. She'll be joining me. But uh, coming up this hour, we're going to uh, talk with somebody who's done a, uh, a very different tell-all book <laughs> because it has to do with the... Um, first college-affiliated fire department in the U.S., which is celebrating its uh, 50th anniversary uh, this month, a couple of years late because of the pandemic. But uh, the author's name is Chris Treese. He is an EMT, and he joins me by phone. Good morning, Chris. Welcome to the show.
3: Morning, Tom. Thanks for having
2: me. Um, what does that, that mean, the first... Uh, college-affiliated fire department in in the U.S.? Is it common now, um, 50 years later, to have college-affiliated fire departments?
3: I think it's always been relatively uncommon. Uh, on the East Coast, you'll see more, for some reason, college-affiliated fire and rescue squads uh, than on the West Coast. But in the state of Vermont, uh, before the 1970s, if you were in a car accident, you would lie on the ground until the undertaker was available. So there were no ambulances, and it also got more interesting in that you would lay on the ground until the undertaker of your faith was available. So if you were a Catholic, you would lie there until the Catholic undertaker was free. And if if the Catholic undertaker was doing a funeral or transporting a corpse, uh, no one might pick you up at all, and your relatives might have to shove you in the back of the car, or put you in the bed of a pickup truck and drive you to the local cottage hospital. So in the early 70s, with a federal highway system that went in, that was the advent of the first federal funds for, for ambulances nationwide. And the first EMTs were trained, and the standard of care in the United States rose dramatically. But before that time, a student at St. Michael's College was injured on the field in 1969, on the playing field, and died due to a lack of EMS care, and that's why St. Michael's College started the first college affiliated fire department in the US.
2: And you know it's it's uh, it's funny I've been watching um, it, like everybody else during the pandemic I've been binge watching a lot of old TV shows. And I was watching the show from the uh, early yeah from the early 70s Emergency.
3: And uh, emergency, the touchstone of EMTs. Yes. Exactly. Gage, a mythic figure.
2: Well, you know the thing that's interesting about that, and I sort of remembered it as I was reminiscing and, and watching these old episodes. Um, that show ended up being sort of, um, you know, you called it a touchstone, but it was it was the PR launch for yep. the concept of paramedics, and people don't realize when they watch that show, it's just it's just an old TV show, but it really did a lot to make cities around the country aware of what could be done with a emergency response.
3: Yeah, and, and, you know, in television then and today loves stories that are fresh and new and hip and happening, and, and paramedics at that time were, were fresh and new. And, and it, at the time of emergency, they didn't even have EMTs or paramedics. A lot of the training that those gentlemen had was simply advanced first aid, but uh, right. it was very fresh and new. The thing, one of the things, I mean, I love many things about emergency, obviously, but um, a lot of the stories in emergency are so bizarre that they've got to be true. So, <laughs> you know, looking, yeah, looking at it from an EMT point of view. And my, my kids get my stories and, uh, and emergency stories confused sometimes when they're talking to me. And they'll say, Daddy, Daddy, tell me the story about the woman who had her toes stuck up the faucet in the bathroom, in the bathtub. And I'll say, well, that, that didn't actually happen to me. That was an emergency story. And they go, oh, oh, oh okay. But, you know, oh, a, a woman who shoves her big toe up the faucet in a bathroom, you know that happened. I mean, that kind of stuff. That's
2: oh, As we all well, like say on the rig, you can't make this stuff up. Chris, that reminds me. I used to travel around as a full-time musician many years ago. and Yeah, I read your bio. We were in this, uh, we were in this town. It was in Michigan. Um, but we... I had to do our laundry we went to a laundromat and it was sitting there waiting for the clothes in the dryer and you know it's always kind of dull at the laundromat and I look up and see this sign of things that you can't put in the dryer and it was you know rubber-backed rugs and you know rubber soled shoes sneakers and that sort of thing and number four or six was bullets <laughs> and and, and just, just as you said a minute ago, it went through my head, you know, somebody did that for, to mm-hmm. make it on the list. <laughs> yeah, it probably
3: went kaboom.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Things you can't put in the dryer, bullets. Anyway. Uh, well, so
3: the, the, the book that I've written is, these are the touchstone stories of my department. So stories like the double forking, which is the first call that's in the book. You know.
2: Yeah, the book, I, I just want to say, because I, I uh, didn't mention it in the introduction, Chris, is uh, the book is called Crazy Ambulance Tales. And uh, and it is a very different tell-all book. So, um, yeah, go ahead, Chris. I, I didn't mean to cut you off.
3: Oh, well, no problem. So... Uh, one of the EMTs who's in the book, Jean, emailed me last night, and, she's, and she had just started reading it. And she said, God, I love this book, and you <laughs> nailed it. And she said, The moment I saw the words, the double forking, I laughed and I remembered. And, you know, so uh, imagine a, a primitive tribe in the days before written communication sitting around the campfire at the end of the day telling each other tales, you know, and, and mythic tales of the tribe. So that would be the stories that are in Crazy Ambulance Tales. You know, the, these are stories, so even if you weren't on the double forking, and Jean wasn't, you know, she intimately knows that story because it was, it was passed around the organization. And then some of the calls, like uh, the patient hiding in the closet, that's another one. That's, that's a classic tale of my fire department. And I was actually going to title the book that, The Patient's Hiding in the Closet, Crazy Ambulance Tales. But... But people who know more about publishing than I do said, "Ah, eh, that's kind of long, you know. Just, just stick with crazy ambulance tales." But um, the patient who lived in the closet did that for over the course of five years. So all sorts of EMTs in my organ—now she wasn't in the closet for five years, mind you—but um, <laughs> but all sorts of EMTs in my organization met her and and loved that story as well. So that's and the, and the stories that are in the book are tend to be on the lighter, funnier, crazier side. You know, uh, ambulance stories can tend to be pretty grim. I, I was going to you know, say, I,
2: I, uh, I have my significant other that I live with, uh, Sandy, um, she's a retired paramedic. Oh, wow. So and, you get it. I, well, and, and that's something that I've noticed is that, you know, people will try to get her to tell the most gruesome of her experiences. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I tend to be a little bit more like you, Chris. I like the funny ones. You know, the Mm -hmm. odd, unusual, you-can't-make-this-stuff-up stories.
3: Yeah, and one of my buddies who was a military medic who served with the Marines in Iraq said to me when I started writing the book, he's like, Chris, nobody wants to read a bunch of sad stories. And, you know, I agree with him. And I like the funny ones, the crazy ones. Those are the ones that I tell my kids. But also, most EMTs, when they get together, don't trot out the dark ones right away. You know, we like to share, as I say in the, in the introduction, we like to share the zany, crazy ones. So that's the majority of the tales in the book. And then, you know, further on into the book, toward the end, I, I share some of the darker stories. But that's sort of after a relationship has been developed between the reader and the writer.
2: Well, and that's also the way it... It should happen when you're telling the stories, as you just suggested. Of course, you're going to talk about some of the uh, some of the darker stories, just out of um, wanting to share that pain with someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and how
3: you process it, how it affects you, and
2: yeah. how
3: you deal with it too. Um,
2: but but I have to think there are uh, some some really unusual ones. I've been watching. Uh, the the new series the last couple of years nine one one and there are two of them and and they center around a lot of these uh, you know very unusual stories unusual rescues um, so you know you've mentioned it a couple times I I think I need to hear the double fork story
3: well you know I don't want to give too much away because no. the people wa- are not going to read the book Tom but um, <laughs> I can tell you that it involved two individuals who got in a fight and utilized the nearest available weapon. Oh, no. And and we'll leave it at that.
2: Uh, Did it, by chance, happen in a fast food restaurant? Uh,
3: (laughs) No, but that would be a great spot for it. No, but it did happen under the influence of certain drugs.
2: The the reason that I bring that up is because... um, I I do a weekly political roundtable and the the last segment on that on Wednesdays when we do the roundtable is a segment I call the X-Files and it's just weird and wacky stories. And there was one in a fast food restaurant, you know, sometime in the last few months um, where people got into it with cutlery. And, and, Plastic or metal? Uh, no, I was, I well, you know, n- now that I think back, I'm not, I, I don't know if I can be sure one way or right. the other. But, um.
3: but. Tom, you're like talking to another EMT. <laughs> you're
2: telling me the tales. Um, but, but when you mentioned the Double Fork story, it, it all of a sudden brought back this memory of a story we shared and, and commented on about, uh. I don't know, something about, you know, concealed cutlery or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, when you're, how do, you, how do you keep a straight face for some of these calls, Chris?
3: Well, that's a great question. I, I think a lot of it comes down to training, you know, as, as a certain standard of professionalism. Uh, you know, the EMT class teaches you and, and gives you opportunities to practice over the course of a year. Uh, how to deal with certain calls and there was always a very high standard of professionalism on my squad and there still is uh, we had something that the, the captain of the squad would routinely mention which was the fishbowl so he said whenever you're in uniform you're in a fishbowl everyone is looking at you to see how you behave so there was always you know high expectations for your level of professionalism on on, on calls well
2: the um... Again, the book is uh, is called Crazy Ambulance Tales. The author is Chris Treese. And um, it's it's kind of a tell-all about uh, uh, some of his adventures and the adventures of the people that he worked with at...
3: Um, the St. Michael's Fire and Rescue. Yeah. and, and Celebrating and the 50th anniversary tomorrow. The Doubletree Inn in South Burlington, Vermont, and I will not be there due to COVID precautions, which really bums me out, but uh, it's going to be a great bash.
2: Yeah, I want to talk about um, that and and the history of St. Michael's College, because you cover that a little bit in the book, too.
3: Sure. So it's a a Catholic college in northern Vermont. Uh, It's it's known primarily for uh, having an ethos of service. There's a lot of social activism and service on campus. A lot of that is due to the order of Catholic priests that run the school. They're called the Edmundites. It's not a very well-known order, not one of the larger ones, but they came from France to Canada and then down into Vermont. And uh, it's it's a beautiful place to go to college, which attracts a lot of people. But uh, St. Michael's Fire and Rescue began in 1969 and started serving five local towns, and it's still going today. So 24-7, 365 days a year, Uh, Student EMTs and firefighters respond to calls in three different communities there. In my day, they they responded to three ambulance calls on average a day. Today, they respond to eight ambulance calls on average a day. And they have paramedic care. Chris, I need, to, um, highest standard.
2: I, I need to put a comma here because I have to take a short break. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk a little Certainly. bit more? Okay, my of guest course. is Chris Treese, the author of Crazy Ambulance Tales. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM in Flint, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well
4: hello out there everybody it's me tigger ti double gr
2: that spells tigger and don't forget to remember to listen to tom sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about the uh, first college um, ambulance service or college affiliated ambulance service with the author of a new book called Crazy Ambulance Tales. And uh, his name is Chris Trees. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. And sorry to make you sit through all that.
3: Thanks, Tom. All right, I enjoyed it. (laughs) Um, You got some great
2: plugs. Just before the, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about the history of St. Michael's College uh, in Vermont, um, the site of the this um, first college-affiliated uh, ambulance service, and I and I know you want to shy away from telling some of the stories in the book because that's that's the book's bread and butter are these these crazy tales, but um, how. College stunt driven are some of the calls that these college affiliated ambulance services get? I mean, are you prying a lot of people out of phone booths and um, pumping stomachs for goldfish and stuff?
3: Uh, Not really. You know, some of our calls would be on campus, but, you know, when you serve, in my time, we served one local city, uh, parts of another, and four local towns. And we were busy dealing with heart attacks, strokes, car accidents. Uh, We had a decapitation during the time I was on the rig. Hmm. Uh, All sorts of colorful calls. So the the college shenanigans, uh, we engaged in some of them in our spare time just to (laughs) relieve stress. But we didn't go to treat a whole bunch of them.
2: What's the significance of the the, um, ambulance service being college-affiliated? Um, it, does it, it does it become an educational program uh, of the college in any way?
3: Sure. So you know, in the state of Vermont, and I'm speaking about that state, there are several college-affiliated fire departments. During the time that I was there, so the University of Vermont uh, staffed an ambulance that served parts of Burlington, Vermont. Saint Mike's covered our territory. Uh, Norwich University in Norwich, Vermont, also had a program and and basically they function just like any other volunteer fire department and know, people when they think of, of ems and fire tend to think of you know paid ems and fire but the reality is that 67 percent of the firefighters in the united states are volunteer and uh, that may be very true in, in parts of michigan so I'll, and i'll use this the stat again sixty seven percent firefighters in the u.s. are volunteer so in the state of vermont wow. much of the state uh, is served by volunteer fire departments and volunteer EMTs. And as I say in the book, you know, the, the image that most people have in their mind of an EMT is a really buff dude, you know, in a fire coat. You know, the reality, most EMTs who staff an ambulance in rural Vermont are probably middle-aged women, and they're really, really good at what they do. And they've served the community for 20 years, you know, when they're not working as a, as a postal clerk and a midwife.
2: That's that's amazing, and, and I learn something new all the time doing this show and getting a chance to talk with uh, with people like you. One of the things that I want to make sure and touch base, well, before I get to that, um, where people can find out more, is to ask, now that this book is done, Chris, have you got the bug to, to continue to write? Do you, will there be a... A book, to um, more crazy ambulance tales.
3: There will there will be crazy ambulance tales too. I'm halfway through it at the moment. But <laughs> I had to take a break because <laughs> I got tuckered out. You did, know, the first book was a lot of work. Did you so get in a couple to, years? The next one will roll out.
2: Did you get to the end of the book and just think to yourself, "But wait, there's more"?
3: <laughs> I did, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it's and it's it's funny you know you, know, you mentioned that because I was sitting in church last week which you know I, I shouldn't admit that my mind wanders there at times but i th- i this woman in front of me in a pew jiggered my memory and i thought oh my goodness oh that's a great call i've got to put that in in the sequel so yeah there's there, there will be more
2: well this is uh this is fascinating stuff and um now i want to point out you're still working
3: well so i i left ems many years ago uh, I became a journalist. I, I had majored in journalism in college, so I, I worked as a, a print and magazine journalist in the state of Vermont. From there, I went to Vermont PBS, where I was a writer, producer, director, on documentary TV, won a couple Emmy Awards, had the foolish notion of coming out to Hollywood to work as a screenwriter. Uh, I worked as a, a screenwriter in Hollywood for many years, mostly in development hell, writing scripts You know that some were produced, some weren't. And then uh, eventually I uh, decided, you know, enough of show business, and I went into PR and marketing communications for nonprofits. So that's what I do these days as, as a full-time job. But um, I am still best of friends with uh, most of my colleagues from my time on ambulance. And, you know, the people who are, are really close to me in my life are cops, nurses, TV news reporters, editors, social workers, sheriffs, you know, those are the folks who I have deep friendships with. And, and a lot of it is because they started out at St. Michael's Fire and Rescue with me, and then went on to those careers. But the other thing is, when I meet someone, um, I tend to connect with folks who are in those fields. And we, we tend to share a lot of fun stories and begin friendships.
2: Well, but a lot of those people really could be categorized as first responders. That is certainly true. You know, in, in a larger umbrella. Um, they all kind of fit in that category and I think there's something relatable from discipline to discipline within that category of of first responders the the sense that you know (laughs) like we were talking about in the last segment keeping a straight face when there are some pretty bonehead uh, mistakes that people make and problems that people get themselves into and and you have to be the one to make sense of it all
3: yeah keeping a straight face and also you know staying sane and not passing out and you know i nearly passed out once with an injury involving a child it was oh, i won't man. say what it was but it yeah. you know i'd been on i'd been an emt for probably four years at that point i'd seen a lot of stuff but this particular injury w- was so awful that uh that i nearly passed out you know i, I was able to keep it together but as I say in the book, I, I know you know, people deal with stress differently. I know one young ECA, so he was to get on the ambulance you had to take the emergency care attendant class, which is a semester long class, and that gives you some good training. And then after that you would take the EMT class, which is a year long class. So one of these young ECAs, who is still relatively new on the rig, delivered a, a really difficult patient to the ERs, horribly injured, walked out in the hallway and, and passed out. You know, it was just, it was very difficult. Fortunately, this person didn't strike their head. It only happened once. I saw another young ECA who's still very new on the squad, and we delivered a dead patient to the ER, go out in mm-hmm. the ambulance and cry afterwards. And, you know, that, that stuff happens too. It never happened on a call, thankfully. But, you know, you have to learn how to process that stuff.
2: Well, I, uh, you had let me know ahead of time that you needed to uh, cut out a little bit early from what I normally would allot for our conversation uh, because you have to go to work. But I want to make sure, as I do with all guests, um, Chris, give you an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and, uh, and the book and your work, Past, Present, and Future. Do you have a There's website a you can share?
3: I do. So it's www.crazyambulancetales.com. Once again, www.crazyambulancetales.com. You'll learn a bit more about the book. There's an excerpt from the book. There's some endorsements. There's a little bio of me. And also, interestingly enough, if you click on the social media, that will take you to the social media, the Facebook and Instagram pages for St. Michael's Fire and Rescue. And you can see the students today who are still saving lives. When I say students, they aren't studying how to save lives. They're college <laughs> students who are trained EMTs and firefighters. Uh, there's also a link on that page to, that says St. Michael. And you click on there, and that'll take you to the website for St. Michael's Fire and Rescue. So you, you can learn something about the book. You can learn something about St. Mike's. And, uh, and hopefully you'll find it, experience an experience entertaining one. Or you can just go directly to Amazon.com and type in crazy ambulance tales," And uh, so it, it just hit um, Amazon's U.K. edition, I noticed yesterday, and it's number 10 there in sales for emergency medicine, which I get a kick out of.
2: Well, Chris, uh, thanks again for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning, and uh, um, have a great day uh, and, a, and a good weekend, and keep up the good work.
3: All right. Thank you, Tom. You too. Take
2: care. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Chris Treese. He is the uh, author of a new book called Crazy Ambulance Tales. And uh, it's about the first college-affiliated fire department in the U.S., which is celebrating its 50th anniversary tomorrow. That's St. Michael's College in Vermont. Um, and, And while a lot of the stories might be... Uh, local stories in Vermont, I think they would have uh, interest to anybody who wanted to pick up and check out the book. Anyway, we're going to take a short break, but we've got more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
1: Another five-minute mystery. Our story takes place in Greens Gap, a small town in the Southern Cavern District.
6: Greens Gap Hospital, Dr. Melville speaking.
11: Doctor, doctor, there's been an accident out at Echo Cavern.
6: Accident? What kind of accident?
11: Two men were exploring and they got lost last night. One's catches You better come quick before he's dead.
6: I hope you know how to get out to Echo Cavern, Len.
8: Well, with the job of being town constable and ambulance driver, I reckon I know all there is to know about these parts.
6: Ever been in the cavern, Len?
8: Once, Doc Melville, when I was a boy. Nearly got my hide tanned off by my paw. Echo Cavern's a mighty treacherous place.
6: You mean it's easy to get lost in it?
8: Not only that, Doc. It's that cavern gas carbine, mmm, something.
6: You mean carbon dioxide?
8: Yeah, that's it. All of a sudden, you run into some of that stuff, and before you know it, bing, you're out.
6: Still, people seem to be going uh, exploring in there.
8: More fools to be. I wouldn't go into them caverns, at least till I was not without a dog. A dog? What for? Well, if a dog keels over, then you know the gas is collecting.
6: I'm afraid, Mr. Gaddy, your friend is dead.
11: Oh, poor Patsy. It wasn't from the gas, was it, Doc?
6: That's what it looks like to me. Why'd you go into that cavern anyway?
11: Patsy asked me to. We'd never seen a cave before.
6: How far did you go in?
11: Well, it didn't seem very far, but all of a sudden we lost our way. Where was that? Well, how do I know whereabouts it was if we was lost? We tried to trace our way back, but it was no use. Patsy started to get scared. It's kind of funny to see a big guy like that get scared.
6: Yeah, he is rather big, isn't he?
11: Yeah, six foot four. The mob used to call us Mutt and Jeff. And then what happened? Well, I was a little scared myself, but we stuck together. You know, walking in the dark with only my flash from the car. All of a sudden, Pat's keeled over.
6: From the gas?
11: Yeah, that's what I figured. His head hit on a rock, and I guess that just about finished him off. I suppose you reckon yourself pretty lucky, mister. Yeah, sure. I figure it's because I'm only five foot three that I got out of there alive. Gas must have been just about a foot over my head.
8: Yeah? And what do you think about that, Doc Melville?
6: I think you better arrest Mr. Gatti for the murder of his friend, Patsy.
1: What was the flaw in Gaddy's story? Do you know it? In a moment, we'll hear from Lem and Dr. Melville. And now, let's see whether you're as observant as Lem and the doctor.
11: Hey, copper, let me put my hands down. They're tired. When
1: you're in Green
11: Gap's jail, not before. I don't get it. It was a good story. I still can't figure out how you found out.
6: Lem tells me they used to take dogs in the cavern because the gas is heavier than air it collects on the floor. If you really meant gas, you would have keeled over first, before your pal Patsy.
11: Well, what do you know? I tell you, nowadays in this murder racket, you need a college education.
1: Another five-minute mystery.
6: This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, Sean Cantwell, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. Stay tuned to the Tom Sumner Program for future mini-mysteries.
10: out in a car He didn't notice that the lights had changed A crowd of people stood aside They'd seen his face before Nobody was really sure if he was from the house of Today, oh, The English army had just won the war A crowd of people turned away But I just had to look Having read Cup. Looking up, I noticed I was late. Grab my coat, grab my hat, laid the books in seconds flat. I'm always there, and I had a smoke. Somebody spoke, and I went into a dream. Oh,
9: S.
8: The Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Time Sumner program. Right now, the COVID 19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone.
10: This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease.
6: I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around to visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger. And-
13: This is our shot. Now it's up to you.
7: (laughs) Yo. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again.
5: So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car. Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey. Mom and Dad, you're being scammed it's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you.
0: Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor.
5: I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
12: In the past few years, a type of meeting place has grown up throughout the country, which is called a coffee house. There are many uninitiated people who have never been into a coffee house, I being one of them. Uh, we are seated now at a table across from which is a man uh, who seems rather depressed. Uh, sir, uh, you, you are depressed. Uh, would it be getting too personal to ask you why?
13: I'm not pretty.
12: You are yeah. depressed because you feel you're not attractive. I'm not attractive. You're not good looking. No, I'm not. Well, what would you say, That's sir? That's I'm I... mainly
13: depressed. Well, may I may I
12: may I say something to you, sir? Yes. You are a very attractive person. You're as attractive as nine out of fifteen people I know. <laughs> You're very kind. But you are. You're not you're an unattractive very, person. You're very sweet. But I,
13: I know the, the truth, and I face it every You're a morning. good-looking
12: man, sir. I'm not a man. I'm a woman. <laughs> oh, 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 I see. Oh, I, 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 I beg your pardon. Uh, we'll, we'll go over to one of the other tables now okay. and see if we can speak. Uh, goodbye. Thank you very Bye. much, sir. Uh, madam. <laughs> madam. Um, there's a gentleman sitting here wearing a pair of Levi's, a nicely laundered T-shirt... Uh, Looking very much like an actor Uh, I might describe him as looking like a cross between uh, Marlon Brando and Joanne Woodward (laughs) I want to explain that You do have blonde hair May we sit and talk with you, sir? Uh, If you are so uh, in your mind, too Uh,
13: Yes Was I right,
12: sir? Was I right? Are you an actor?
13: Yes, I uh, have to be
12: a uh, lesbian (laughs) I think, uh, I think, I think, sir. I think you. Can I check you on that? I think it's uh, you mean thespian. Well, uh, is that what thespian? Thespian, actually. Thespian. Yes, yes. I'll
13: never get that wrong again. <laughs> <laughs>
12: Sir, who is your... Who do you consider the greatest actor we have in America today? The
13: greatest actor in America is Tallulah Brackett.
12: Well, she's
13: a a great
12: actress. Yeah, I
13: I mean, I don't mean an actor-actress. I mean that she knows what she's doing up there, you know? Well, who else do you like? Who would you
12: pattern yourself after? I would pattern
13: myself after... I loved that picture, The Fugitive Kind. I loved it very much. Very much. (laughs) Uh, So... (laughs) Uh, so you're trying to look? I try to uh, be like Brando with my T-shirt and just look a, very much like Joanne Woodward, who I love very much.
12: I love her. Well, you know, usually when people...
13: I also look a little like the producer. I love him, too. <laughs> exactly. Mar- Marty Giroux, Marty Giroux. He produced that picture. You'll notice my shoes are exactly like his. I love that picture yeah. that much well, sir, that I became everything in it. <laughs> I see. Sir, I think I made a mistake. You're not an actor, No, actually. I'm I'm not an actor, well, I'm but, I'm, but I love to hang out here. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure to speak. Well, it was a pleasure almost to be an actor.
12: <laughs> well, I, yeah. I, I've got to wend my way through the crowd. Oh, get... good
13: luck on your wending.
12: <laughs> and goodbye. If I can do anything for you, you just call upon me,
13: sir. Can I talk to you now? <laughs> <laughs> no. No.
12: No. Okay. okay. I
13: understand. You have to go to other people yes. on the record. I know that.
12: Yeah, yeah. I know that. All
13: right. I watched you before here in the coffee
12: house. All right, ladies. Goodbye. So long. I
13: hope I'm an actor. <laughs>
12: We're going to a corner of the coffee house now. Uh, on the walls surrounding this table are many, many paintings. There's a gentleman sitting here with a palette, palette knife, some brushes, some oils. And I imagine that he is the gentleman who painted these paintings. Am I right, sir? That is correct in your assumption. And the painting...
13: uh, You are totally correct. Uh, The painting... And impeccably dressed, if I may say so. Thank you. Thank you very much. A lovely tie. Thank you. Gradually blending into the color of your suit.
12: You are always interested in color and design. Color is my life. I am color. Your name is... uh, What is your name, sir? Corinne Corfu. Corinne Corfu. You are Greek.
13: I hope I am Greek. I would like to be Greek, very much.
12: Well, that is a Greek name, and you have a Greek accent.
13: Yes. Well, then, perhaps I am.
12: (laughs) Well, don't you know your... Don't you know your derivation?
13: No, I do not know uh, my derivation. Gypsies stole me as a child. (laughs) A band of gypsies.
12: And you were brought up where?
13: I was brought up in the Persian Gulf, right here in Miami. (laughs) The Persian goat, no, it's a gypsy tea house. The rest are called the Persian goat. I would like to
12: talk to you about your paintings. Yes, you certainly made it my life. Color and art. I love art. They are very unusual. I noticed that. God bless you for your perception. <laughs> I noticed one. You also. Uh, you sculpt, too, I noticed. It's some... uh, sculpting and painting, all the arts. Uh, there is a, a metallic sculpture there that is very interesting. Yes, metal, metallic. What do you call that? It's just a series of wires uh, in a grid like effect. What oh, you do... mean above the door? Yes, what do you call it? Yes, that? that's called
13: the air conditioning.
12: <laughs> yes, no, I. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir.
13: I did not uh, make that. Uh, no. Uh, the Do feathers, that. the feathers company made, but it's very beautiful. Yes.
12: Your paintings are very abstract, I noticed. Yes, but
13: they don't blow air out.
12: So, uh, like
13: <laughs> um, the machines.
12: No. May I ask you about some of the paintings? Yes, First, they certainly made That painting there that is entitled The Gull on a Hot Rock.
13: Yes. Now, <laughs> I don't see
12: anything on that but a bunch of little specks.
13: Yes, well, I saw the girl on a hot rock from over five miles away. Uh,
12: oh, I I was see. standing on a
13: cliff. That's why I painted in the perspective,
12: the three little dots. Now, uh, getting closer, sir, I'm, uh, may I examine a little more closely. Certainly, not too close. Yes, yes. Now, that is not paint, those dots. They look like, that's, those are flies. Sir. Yes, they are. They're flies. But you didn't paint that. Those are real flies. No, I took them,
13: uh, caught them in my hand until the air was out of their bodies and they died. <laughs> and then I, uh... You pasted them onto the- little dots of blue and put them on the dots and they represent the call on the rocks. I had to kill them. If I had not killed them, if they were not dead. And glued to my picture. <laughs> then I have no picture. <laughs> I to fly away I got nothing, Charlie.
12: <laughs> well, I see. In the dark. Well, I excuse me. What are you gonna you. buy? Well, sir, may I ask you about this particular abstract?
13: <laughs> yes, they're These mainly are... impressionistic, post-impressionistic, yes. pre-impressionistic, and impressionistic.
12: <laughs> yes. This one is more of a, an academician type of paint. No, it's not. <laughs> well, for instance, it's very graphic, it's very graphic. Yes, it's it's very graphic, it's very graphic It's a draftsman like quality The spaghetti looks like spaghetti The limp salad looks like limp salad And the garlic bread looks like garlic bread Oh, oh, no,
13: that's not a picture, that's my supper (laughs) It happens to be resting on a frame And in my eating? Oh, that's my dinner, I eat that
12: Oh, Uh, I'm sorry, sir Do you like,
13: wait a minute do you really like it?
12: Well, it is. Do you think it looks like the a, composition is a collage rather... of? A... Yes, I thought it was thickly painted. I tell you what.
13: <laughs> if you really like it. I can lacquer it up and give it to you for forty dollars.
12: No, I'm afraid. I'm no. afraid I wouldn't want to take your deprive right. you of your <laughs> supper, sir.
13: How about just a coffee and cake? <laughs> Maybe not for twenty dollars. No, sir. Give I... me a dollar and a half for the coffee. <laughs> <laughs>
12: <laughs> sir, I'm really not interested. Give me forty
13: cents. You can have it.
12: All right, here's forty cents, sir. All right. Thank you very here's the much.
13: coffee and cake. Nice working with you. <laughs> yes. Sir. I hope you come in again. I will, sir. God bless your guy. I don't want the coffee. No, sir. you want the picture with the flies? No, you just keep. Give it. me a dime. <laughs> you can have it. I kill more flies. What the hell is it? <laughs>
12: (laughs) All right. Goodbye. In a corner of the coffee house, there's a gentleman sitting with a very, very strange instrument on his lap. Uh, Sir, may we speak with you? Hello. (laughs) Uh, Uh, What is your name, sir? May we get your name?
13: uh, My name is uh, Charlie Grape. (laughs) Jolly grape. Yes.
12: Uh, Do you perform here at the uh, coffee house? Yes. uh,
13: On occasion, I do, and then they uh,
12: they kind of get mad at me, and then I don't. I think I can get permission for you to play for us. I'd like. Can you? Yes. uh, (laughs) I I would. It's
13: the first time I've ever gotten permission here. We'd
12: certainly like to hear a sample of your music. Certainly, let me just get tuned
13: up. I'm trying to find an A here. There it
12: is, there it is. <laughs> Got it first
13: shot out of the box. Go,
12: my A. Now, what are you going to play for us? Uh, 22 men. All right, for the record, 22 men. 22 men, here we go. Sung by Charlie Grape. Yeah, here we are.
13: <laughs> I get mainly A out of it. Don't <laughs> right. get more than A out of <laughs> it. Twenty-two men fell down and hurt their knees. Twenty-two men fell down and hurt their knees. Twenty-two men fell down, down to the ground. Twenty-two men fell down and hurt their knees. Would you like to hear the release? <laughs> Do you have
12: one? Yeah. Now, 22 men fell down and hurt That's I not a release, sir. That's the same as the... Uh, yeah. Uh-huh.
13: Okay. Okay, how about another t- completely different song and a new tune?
12: Yes. Like
8: okay. It. Could you make it up on the spot?
13: I certainly can. It's my best part. it up. This is extemporaneous. Yeah, whatever. 22 German soldiers hurt their knees. <laughs> <laughs> 22 German soldiers... I think sir, you know sir, that, no, too. No, yeah. It's very similar
12: to the other one. Yeah, well, How
13: does it differ? It differs in the fact that... the. The first twenty-two men were not German soldiers.
12: <laughs> well, is this the a second
13: not... twenty-two men are German soldiers?
12: Well, it's uh, the same. Can you, can you play? It's some... the
13: same uh, that they hurt their knee. That's right. You caught me there. Yeah.
12: yeah. Can you, you sing that. something completely different? <laughs> okay. Completely different. You know, the uh, the calypso balladeers make up songs right on the spot, topical songs. Yes, they can do. Can you do that? I'll try to. Okay.
13: Okay. Twenty-two calypso <laughs> no, Is
4: mean, that what you meant? No, I meant something
13: topical Something topical? Yes I'll try something topical Let's see what's happening in the world today Here in our great nation Got it Big Dick Nixon heard his name <laughs> Big Dick Nixon heard his name <laughs>
4: This was
0: another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
4: From the Tom Sumner Show, oh
8: yeah. You pilots, get off my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here.
10: It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here.